This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey, and I'm so excited that you are here with us this morning, especially on this holiday uh, Sunday. And again, we are just so thankful that you are here, especially this morning. If you happen to be new, we want to extend a special welcome to you and uh, just thank, say thank you for being here. And whether you are new or you've been around many times before, I want to encourage you to reach into the seat back in front of you. And there, you're going to find one of these Connect cards. On that Connect card, you can put lots of information, um, uh, prayer requests, <clears throat> excuse me, prayer requests, uh, decisions that you've made, other pieces of information that you might want us to have. Uh, if you are new and you put your address on there, we would love to send you just a small thank you in the mail this week. Hey, um, and you have found us uh, today at the beginning of a brand new series entitled When necessary. And it comes from this kind of old saying from somebody named Francis of Assisi in which he says, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. In other ways, in our everyday life, uh, in our everyday life that, that God would be coming out of us, inviting others to come along with us. And so for the next four weeks, we really kind of have two main objectives that we want to make sure that we are getting across. Two, are two things we really want to learn. The first is to make sure that we all understand that God places a calling on every single one of us, on each of us to share his goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his new life with the people who are around us, the people in our lives, that that's not a task we get to push off onto other people. It's not a task we get to push off onto professionals, onto pastors or missionaries. It's not something we get to say, you know what, so-and-so is further along the spiritual journey than I am, and so I'll just let them take care of it. God puts a call on every single one of us who claim to be his disciples. Part of that is being engaged in his mission, his mission to share his grace and love with the world. All right, so we want that to be clear in all of our minds throughout this series. The second thing that we want to do in this series is we want to learn from the master we want to learn from Jesus in his life how we go about this, how we could do this better. And so that's really what this series is all about, making sure it's crystal, crystal clear in our minds that God calls all of us to be engaged in his work and in his mission, and we want to learn how to do that specifically from Jesus' life and ministry. All right, so with that, let me... Pray for us, and then we'll jump right in today. God, we thank you so much for the worship that we have already had. As we've taken just a time in our service, in our morning this, this morning, to just thank you. 
to just zoom out and think about your grace and your love and to sing about it. God, my prayer is that as we continue our time together, as we open up your word, that your word becomes clear to all of us. God, we know that your presence is here in our midst today, and I pray. I pray you stir and you move in our hearts in a way that only you can. And as you stir and move, God, I pray that you reveal what you want each of us to learn. That might be a little different for one than another, God, but you know what lesson you have for each of us. I pray, God, that we become resolute, that we're going to do something about what we've learned today. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, if you went to a dictionary and you looked up the word necessary, you would see something like this, something that is required to be done, something that is essential to a task. What is necessary is what should be done first, what is most important, what is most basic. But here's one of the things that I notice in my life. Maybe you do too. When life gets really busy, when I start running from here to there, when I go all of these different places, when my calendar fills up and it feels like I have more demands than time, I lose focus on what's necessary. And when we lose track of what's necessary, what's important, we can be very busy. We can be running here and there. We can even be accomplished doing certain things here, doing certain things there, but we still feel lost inside. Because we know somehow intuitively we're not working on the things that we're supposed to be working on. We're not moving those things forward. Have you felt that way? It's frustrating, right? One of the things that we oftentimes miss in the scriptures is that Jesus can relate to our busyness. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, listen to how it describes his life and his ministry and how busy it is. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, right? That's a lot. All the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. It's a lot to do. In every village that Jesus entered, he had to teach them uh, a new way to live, a whole new way to think about who God is and how to relate to him, a whole new way of how to treat one another. And beyond that, beyond just the teaching part of it, he becomes the hope and the healing for everyone in the midst. All kinds of sicknesses and disabilities. It's a lot of responsibility. But despite all that, Jesus was responsible for, he never lost sight 
of what he was put on earth to do, like it says in Luke 19.10, to seek and to save the lost. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, just after the busyness of Jesus' life gets described for us in verse 35, it says essentially he paused. He paused uh, from his teaching, from his healing, and he looked up and he looked at the crowds that surrounded him in this particular town, and it says his heart broke. His heart broke, the Bible says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know what it means to be a sheep without a shepherd? We don't have a lot of sheep in our lives these days. But people in Jesus' day, they knew specifically what happened when sheep didn't have a shepherd. They got into trouble. In, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34 in the Old Testament, this, it's a, there's a um, reference to being sheep without a shepherd. And it explains why the shepherd was so important. It says the shepherd was there to provide food for them to make sure that they eat, ate because without him they would starve. Said that the shepherd was there to help heal them when they uh, got injured, to bring them back finally when they were lost. So Jesus is saying, these people, these people, people they're spiritually hungry. They're they're injured. Not just physically, but they're emotionally injured. They're spiritually injured. He's saying they're lost. Not only are they lost, but he can see they're heading in the wrong direction. In essence, Jesus stops his daily task, his teaching, his healing, all the demands that are around him, he pauses and he looks at all of these future needs, all of these demands that are going to be on him. And he becomes more resolute, more determined, more focused on the people around him. In essence, he has more compassion. That's a really interesting point to think about this morning, to kind of ponder, because when I think about my life, when I get busy, my compassion decreases rather than increases, right? When the calendar fills up, when things, uh, uh, the demands keep coming and coming, I grow impatient. I get angry when people cut me off on the road. My compassion decreases. But Jesus, his compassion increases. If we're trying to be more like Jesus, if that's what the essence of discipleship is, we need to take notice here that despite all that was happening in life, Jesus stayed focused to his mission, that his, uh, his um, compassion grew. I read a story 
read a story of a man in the 1920s this week who fell off a pier into an ocean. And he wasn't a good swimmer. The water was cold and all he uh, could do was really flail and call for help. His family and friends, they were way down at the other end of the pier. They could hear the faint cries of his calls for help. They could see him, but they couldn't get to him in time. But just a few feet away, uh, just a few steps away, it was described on a bench there was a man. A man who sat there and he was just bathing in the sun. And he wasn't even, uh, he didn't even get up off the bench. All he could do was turn and look, see what all the commotion was, and then he just went back to his sunbathing. The family was furious. They were so upset that they, they got the man arrested, they, they uh, took him to court, they sued him. And you know what the result was? They lost the case. The court, although frustrated with the man's lack of compassion, they could find no law that required him to help. Indifference, it turns out, is legal. And as frustrating as indifference might be, we must understand that compassion isn't something that comes from a lawsuit. Isn't something that comes from Outside of us, it comes from inside of us. That's what he needed. He needed compassion in that instance to want to help that person. If we looked up the word for compassion in verse 36, if we looked up the translation there, it would mean that Jesus was moved deep in his bowels. Deep within himself, compassion stirred. Neil Cole, an author, describes compassion like this. Compassion is a natural feeling that stirs in your stomach. It comes out of your eyes, out of your words, out of your actions. In other words, it's deep inside you and you just can't help it. It comes We think about God's call to each of us to share him with the people in our lives. To share him with the people around us. A script, having just the right words isn't enough. A program, knowing just the right things to do, the steps to take, might, we might find it helpful but it's not going to cut it. A guilt trip for me, me telling you exactly what needs to be done isn't going to get us there. What we need more than anything, what these scriptures, they tell us we need, is we need compassion. We need compassion to stir deep within us. 
the same compassion that Jesus had when he was, we just read about in Matthew chapter 9, when he took a break and he looked at the crowd all around him and it says his heart broke. He felt compassion for these people because they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. We love Jesus. If we're truly trying to form our life after the pattern of his life, if we're trying to grow into that, moving him to the center of who we are, if that's who we're about, what we're about, and we see his compassion for the lost around him, We can't afford to be indifferent. We can't sunbathe in God's glory and goodness while people drown in their sin, in their brokenness, at arm's length. What we need is we need to have our hearts break for the things that God's heart breaks for. We need compassion. This week, so many of us have been watching the news coverage of all the flooding in Houston. We've been inspired by the stories of neighbors helping neighbors, strangers helping strangers. I just wonder if we could somehow put on some glasses and we could see the way that Jesus sees. If we could see the muddy waters of sin and distress that people's souls are drowning in. If we could see that they were heading out deeper into the flood waters rather than closer away from the water. If we could somehow get past kind of the the trappings that we so often are so good at putting around ourselves that make us look successful like we have things together and we could see to somebody's heart. I wonder if we could remain so indifferent. Just after Jesus talks about the compassion he felt for the people, how his heart broke. He explains the one thing that's missing. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 says this, And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Notice here that what the missing ingredient is. It's not what we so often kind of like to think about. The missing ingredient isn't uh, the right program, knowing just the right steps and just the right things to say. It's not that they need some more resources. It's not that this cultural shift needs to happen in our larger society and then everything kind of will fall into place. Jesus says the problem What's missing is there's not enough workers. 
The field is ripe and ready for the harvest, but there's no workers to send. Get this. What is missing is people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and seen their lives transformed, going out and helping people experience the same thing. He even goes on to say what the next step should be for us. Verse 38 says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest begins. The harvest begins with people like you and me praying that God would send us out into our ordinary, everyday lives and use us in the harvest field. That's where it is. Not here, but there. It's people praying that God would grow compassion in their hearts. That they wouldn't wait for some professional lifeguard to come and do the saving, that they would reach out a hand to the drowning man next to them. We're told to pray for workers, to pray for compassion to be stirred deep within us, deep within our community, deep within the people around us. And then do you know what happens two verses later in the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew and the other disciples are sent out. They're sent out into the harvest field. And just for reference sake, in Matthew chapter 9, in the very beginning of Matthew chapter 9, Matthew's still a tax collector. So this is a rather fast transition for him. The beginning of Matthew chapter 9, he's a tax collector. Jesus comes to him. He calls him. He says, why don't you be my disciple? There's a few teaching segments in there. And then a couple of miracles happen. And then pretty much within 30 verses, Matthew goes from tax collector, from someone who is thought to be far from God, but not only that, just to be corrupt, to telling his friends and neighbors about Jesus being a worker in the field. And that's significant because so often our excuses, our excuses for not being a worker in the field is we don't have enough knowledge after even years of being in a church, after years maybe of reading the Bible, we say, you know, we don't, we don't know enough. Let's leave that to somebody else. What if somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to? Jesus seems so unconcerned with this. Remember, 30 verses, Jesus, uh, Matthew goes from, tax collector, despised, hated by his community, at least the religious community, to 
sharing the gospel with his family and friends and neighbors. Jesus believes that his newness to the faith is actually a strength. He's still got relationships. He still knows people. He can still go up to them and talk to them who are far from God and tell them about the difference Jesus has made in their heart and life. As far as questions that he can't answer, Jesus seems to be saying, I'll take someone full of compassion with the story of life change over Bible quotes any day. We have to recognize this truth. People are impressed not with our biblical knowledge, but with our compassion. The love of God that we are able to share with them and with their story of life change. The difference God has made in us. That's what people are impressed with. I love how author J.R. Briggs describes getting focused in his life, how he keeps this kind of front and center for him. He says this, all I try and do every day is make Jesus the center of my life and help other people do the same. I love the clarity of that phrase. I love that he understands that he has this call to go first that he has a responsibility to kind of go first, to have God in his heart and his life, but to bring other people along with them, discipling them, encouraging them to take their first steps. Sounds an awful lot like going into the harvest field to me. The Gospel of Matthew closes with Jesus. After the resurrection, after the crucifixion, being with his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. And he shares these very last words with them. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now I certainly want you to hear those words I want you to hear Jesus saying those words, not only to his disciples, but I want you to hear him saying them to you, to me. I want you to hear the clear call he places on every single one of us to be a part of his mission, of his work, of sharing his gospel with the world. But I also don't want you to miss promise we get in verse 20. The last part of verse 20 says, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can I just be honest with you? 
So many times I have made sharing my faith, walking across a room, having a conversation, uh, just investing in someone. I've made it so hard, so difficult. I've talked myself out of it so many times because I don't really believe. I haven't really believed the last part of verse 20. That God's going to go with me. It's when I'm off trying to do it on my own, doing it by myself. That's when it seems overwhelming. That's when it feels like too much. Let's not do that anymore. Let's take a big, deep breath of God's goodness and grace and realize that he cares even more about the lost people in our lives than we do. Let's remember that when we feel prompted to walk across the room, strike up a conversation, when we feel prompted to help somebody, when we feel prompted to uh, do something else, to pray for someone, to have a spiritual conversation with them, that God promises right here to be with us. And that makes all the difference. What I wanted to accomplish today wasn't very complicated. I wanted every single one of us today to understand, to understand that God calls each of us to be a part of his work to be a worker in the field. I wanted to make sure that you heard, not from me, but from Jesus himself, his words saying to you, to me, to us all. The problem is there's not enough workers in the field. We are the workers. It's not something we get to pawn off on somebody else. We don't get to say, let the professionals take care of it, the pastor or the missionaries. We don't get to say, let somebody who is more spiritual take care of it. It's a call Jesus gives to us all. I wanted us to hear that. I wanted us to know that the most important skill the most important skill in this happening in our lives, in our world, is not a certain level of knowledge, although we need that. It's not a spiritual gifting. It's not a title. It's a willingness to share the difference God has made in our life. That's what Matthew did. That's all he could do. That's all he had at that point. Finally, I wanted us to understand that all of this starts, all of this starts with our eyes, seeing the way Jesus saw, looking at the people around us and having compassion, having God stir deep within us because there's lostness around us. There's brokenness around us. 
all the other steps that we're going to talk about, all the other ways that we're going to talk about specifically how we can go about being better at this aren't going to matter if we don't see the way that Jesus saw. It's not going to matter if we don't have compassion stirred deep within our heart. As we think about what to do with this today, with what kind of action steps we might take, I have three. If you're taking notes, you want to write these down. Here they are. The first for me would be to take Jesus' words seriously. To take his, ser- his word seriously. I mean, this is his last command to his disciples. That should put a, a big highlight across our Bibles, in our minds, in our hearts. This is important. It wasn't just important for some, a few disciples a few thousand years ago. It's important for us today what we're to be about. And so the action here, if it's this important to Jesus, if it's his last words, let's make a commitment to be dedicated to it. We're going to be talking about this for the next three weeks. Let's commit to being here and really diving into what this might look like in my life if I was better at being a disciple maker, being a worker in the field. So challenge number one is to come back. Second would be to go back to Matthew chapter 9 this week. If you go back to Matthew chapter 9 and you read it again, see how Jesus looked at the crowd with compassion amidst all that he was already doing. All the busyness he was already experiencing. And ask yourself, do I have that pattern in my life? That when busyness comes up, am I filled with more compassion or with less? We know what happened for Jesus. Do you lose focus and patience with people? people God has put into your life because of the busyness, because of running here and there? And do you lose out on opportunities to share God's faith, God's hope, God's forgiveness with people in action or in words because because you have chosen busyness over being available Because your compassion has decreased rather than increased. Think about that this week. And lastly, I want to challenge each of us this week to find a moment where we put down the phone. We find a crowd. Maybe it's at the cubicles in our office. Maybe it's at the lunch table at our school, maybe it's at a park or a mall. We spend just five minutes trying to see the people all around us the way that Jesus saw them, with compassion stirred deep within us, 
And then pay attention to the rest of our day. Did we have more patience after that five minutes? All of a sudden, did we become a better listener in a conversation because we weren't so concerned with where we were going next, but we kind of, we, we heard some verbal cues about some pain points in people's lives, and we were able to have some deeper levels of conversation, maybe even spiritual conversations? Because our compassion grew Are you paying more attention? Do you feel prompted to pray for people more or less after you spend just five minutes trying to see the way Jesus saw? My guess is that the answer to many of those questions for us is going to be yes. Let's pray about that today. God, in this section of scripture in, in Matthew, you give us so much to think about. So much to think about in the way you see the world. And God, we have to really try. That doesn't always come naturally to us. We have to kind of make room in our life, in our day, to really make space and think the way that you think, to see the way that you think. My prayer today is that we make a commitment to do that. Because I really do believe that spending just a few minutes seeing the way that you see, seeing the damage of sin, the destruction of relationships, seeing the, the, the toll it takes on the people around us, that it makes a difference in how we respond the rest of the day. I believe it makes us more open to having a deeper level of conversation thinking less about ourselves and our schedule, thinking more about how we can invest in others. I believe it leaves us open to spiritual conversations. And God, that's a call you put on every single one of us. My prayer for today that every person in this room is very clear that God has a call on them has a call on them to be a part of what you're doing in this community in their places of work in their schools, in their families My prayer is that right now you settle in their hearts that you care about all of those places, all of those spheres, spheres of influence, and that you are already working in each and every one of them. And as we have that kind of calling on us clarified, my prayer is right now you take our tension level down. 
Because you real, we begin to realize, God, that you are already at work in those areas. And our job is simply to join you in what you are already doing. But we have to have the eyes to see that, God. Help us to see this week with compassion. To see the way that you see it. And God, make it really clear in our heart that that promise at the end of verse 20 of chapter 8 in Matthew is for us. That you will be with us. When we walk across that room, when we strike up that conversation, when we give and it hurts a little bit, when we decide that we're going to help this person that maybe we wouldn't have helped them otherwise, when we open our mouth and are vulnerable about our life, when we take that risk and start a spiritual conversation with someone, that your promise is that you will be right there with us. In fact, you beat us there. You were there long before we got there. God, help us. Help us to find peace in that. Help that to spur us, give us courage. In your name we pray. Amen.